Welcome to the Greener Way podcast, a show about people, planet, and purpose, and how investors and corporate leaders push forward in a complex world. On this episode of The Greener Way, we're going to do a deeper dive onto how we measure sustainable finance outcomes and how we discuss the dollar impact of financing emissions-intensive activities. This is a key discussion point in Australia and around the world, particularly as we're looking at Australia's sustainable finance strategy, net zero targets, and how we drive investment forward into the future. Here to help us understand all of this and more is Nishta Agawal of Climate Energy Finance. Hi, Nishta. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you introduce yourself and talk about your role at Climate Energy Finance? Thanks very much for having me on the show, Rachel. Yes, so I'm Nishta Agarwal. I am the Finance Emissions Analyst at Climate Energy Finance. We're a think tank that was established in 2022, and we really work at that intersection of climate, energy and finance to mobilise capital at speed and scale towards the energy transition. So we're philanthropically funded and we don't do any paid gigs and that just allows us to maintain radical independence and play a coordinating role with the national interests that are front of mind. So it is an incredibly privileged position and a large part of how we operate is private engagement um, behind the scenes with finance, with investors, corporates government and also the climate NGO movement. In addition to that private engagement, we publish highly relevant sort of financial analyses on key areas of the decarbonisation agenda. Mm-hmm. So in my role as finance emissions analyst, I focus on the banking sector and we see the big five banks mm-hmm. as critically important to the energy transition, the big five being Combank, NAB, Westpac, ANZ and Macquarie. They are five of the biggest companies on the Australian Stock Exchange. They're five of the top 100 banks globally, and they collectively represent $4 trillion in assets. And so their power to allocate capital towards climate change mitigation and adaptation is enormous and not to be understated. And they're also a huge part of our economy then, you know, the big part of the market capitalization of our listed equities, which then feeds into superannuation fund investments. So it's all connected. Absolutely. Um, and, and yeah, mention it, you mentioned asset um, owners, asset managers, you know, the Global Financial Alliance for Net Zero represents $100 trillion mm-hmm of assets committed to net zero globally. And so major investors like BlackRock, Amundi, the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund have major ownership stakes in those globally significant financial institutions. And so we're seeing finance sector all committed to that transition away from fossil fuels. Fantastic. Okay, so now we understand the scope of the money that we're talking about. Let's talk about something really, really specific. What do we mean when we're talking about financed emissions? As a layperson, I come across this all the time in reading your reports, for example, because I'm one of those people that uh, get the public facing research from climate energy finance. Can you give us a solid definition of what financed emissions are and how this plays into the banking sector in particular? Yeah, so it's a really good question. Um, Financed emissions are the emissions linked to the investment and lending activities of financial institutions. And so from a bank's perspective, we're not talking about the bank's scope one and two emissions. So we're not talking about how Mm -hmm. they power their offices or how employees commute to work. Um, We're talking everything Mm -hmm. scope three, i.e. the emissions from their customers. So the way we look at that is two main categories. We look at a bank's on-book lending and then Mm off-book capital markets facilitation, and that includes things like 
the bank's involvement in arranging syndicated loans or underwriting or advising deals. So we've talked about financed emissions and scope one, scope two, scope three, Nishta, but how do we analyze banks' ability to transition to the net zero outcomes in the future that we're hoping for? Another great question. So I've been assessing the transition plans of the banks from a scope three perspective for the past three years and publishing on them for the past two. The key scope Mm -hmm. three related areas that I found to be material were um, and are the bank's energy financing. So looking at that trend Mm -hmm. of fossil fuels versus renewable energy and hoping to see obviously a decline in fossil fuel lending while we see an increase in renewable energy lending. And that is underpinned Mm. by a bank's uh, sort of financing policy. So their coal, oil and gas uh, financing policies. So that's the first area. The second one is climate solutions lending. And so we've seen the big four banks collectively pledge $350 billion in climate solutions financing this decade already. And the trend that we see in that is as a bank sort of completes and fulfills its pledge, it tends to set another pledge. And so that $350 billion is what has been pledged for this decade so far. And and that number Mm -hmm. is growing. Mm -hmm. So getting into um, the integrity of those asset classes is an interest of ours. And I think the sustainable finance taxonomy that is due for release by the end of this year is going to provide uh, a lot more um, coalescence in the market and comparability and standardization of those asset classes. The third aspect is a sector mm-hmm. decarbonization targets. And so under the Net Zero Banking Alliance, the banks are committed to reducing emissions in their high emitting sectors. So they are the power sector, built environment, transport, heavy industry, and our agriculture, and reducing those emissions across those sectors in line with net zero by 2050. And the fourth pillar is how a bank is engaging with its customers. So we're seeing the banks report on the transition readiness of their top 100 customers by emissions, for example. And that's critically important Mm. because the bank's Uh, top 100 customers are the most high emitting corporates in Australia. And so really ensuring Mm. they are ready for the transition, you know, they're hitting all the really important elements of a transition plan is a really important part of the equation that banks can sort of play in their stewardship role of transitioning the sector. Fantastic. And I love the way that you've given us that framework for analyzing across all the key activities in a bank, Nishta. That's really something for us to think about. Overall, Nishta, how does climate energy finance analyze the trajectory of sustainable finance in Australia? Um, It feels like, um, as an observer, that there's this constant dynamic tension between the push to get finance projects that show clear additional impact versus the push just to build that critical momentum that can tip the Australian economy over into wider uh, decarbonization trajectory. From where you stand analyzing the pace and the trajectory, is this a yes and, as in we do both impact and wider momentum, or an either or? So I think those two ideologies are very complementary. Um, and mm. integrity needs to remain the universal principle across both of those worlds. Mm-hmm. In a perfect world, 
I think it would make sense to measure capital allocation exclusively towards activities that demonstrate that additional emissions reduction. But in working with the system that we've got, means that we need to build scale and momentum in sustainable finance markets themselves. You know, that means motivating Mm. corporates to access sustainable finance products, whether that's green or transition finance or sustainability-linked finance, and and building volume and the appetite to adopt that those financial mechanisms will sort of further drive the transition towards a sustainable economy. Mm. But that really only works if the products are true to label and there is integrity in the outcomes that are claimed. So, for example, we published mm. recently a thought piece on the Woolworths Green Bond from 2019, and that raised questions on the reporting of avoided emissions. Uh, And we've found an overwhelming market response to that piece because investors are concerned Mm. about a corporate regulator prosecuting cases of greenwash. So we really need integrity in the way outcomes are measured um, and reported and Mm. also the way they're assured by third-party and independent um, assurance providers. And that assurance should ideally, uh, in a perfect world, again, be done in the national interest based on real emissions reduction. I got to say, it was that Woolies report that you wrote, Nishta, that prompted me to ask if you would grace us with your time to explain it, because I thought it was such, it was an, it was such an interesting piece of analysis, um, particularly around that avoided emissions piece. So it certainly had its effect with at least this one stakeholder. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Okay, so moving along, this is going to be a big year for climate finance as w- for the industry as well as for government in, in terms of going deeper and wider. Are the policy settings via the government's sustainable finance strategy adequate to support that drive? And how will the sustainable finance strategy impact on the banking sector? Yeah, so the government's sustainable finance strategy is absolutely directionally right in terms of getting the financial system architecture in place. And the four major parts that I'm really interested and excited about in how they all work together are the climate-related financial disclosures, the sustainable finance taxonomy, sector pathways, and transition plans. And so the way they work together is that Climate-related financial disclosures will create more complete and more comparable market information. Uh, Transition plans Mm -hmm. are also a disclosure framework that will call into focus key elements of a transition for corporates, which are things like CapEx and OPEX, um, towards the energy transition, lobbying efforts and perhaps executive pay incentives, but, but, you know, a bunch more there. So the climate-related financial disclosures and transition plans are, um, are disclosure frameworks. Um, the thing that doesn't mm-hmm. get set there is the directionality. And so sector pathways is where it gets directional. You know, I, um, you, you, you're re- reporting on your scope three emissions and then you actually have to reduce them this much over this amount of time um, in mm-hmm. line with those sector pathways. Mm-hmm. So the first iteration of those sector pathways is due on the climate change minister's desk by August this year. And the taxonomy is mm-hmm. sort of um, set to follow suit by the end of this year. And that's going to classify the activities and assets that qualify um, and are pinned beneath those sector pathways. So that's that's going to mm. start to drive sustainable finance markets appetite And it's interesting to me that it's all interlocking as well, that there's a very clear connective connective through path to everything, to this big picture. Yeah, absolutely. I do think there's a 
a bit of a structural default in the way that sector pathways are only accounting for domestic emissions, not exported emissions. Mm. You know, Australia accounts for 1% to 2% of global emissions when you just look at our domestic emissions. As soon as you account for our foot, a footprint overseas, we account for 5 to 6% of global emissions. Mm. Um, and so in mm. a world where every country is working towards net zero, Australia's scope three exported emissions are an indication of Australia's transition risk and trade exposure. So while the sustainable finance strategy is directionally right, um, it's a really sound basis, we we do need additional policy measures. You know, we critically need the right pricing signals. So a cost of carbon pollution um, combined with a carbon border adjustment mechanism that sort of protects and, and shores up our domestic industries. And we critically need to begin to reverse the, the $50 billion in annual subsidies given to the fossil fuel industry at, at this point in time um, in a way that sort of does create long-term energy security, affordability and sustainability. That's a really interesting point, Nishta, and hopefully we can explore um, trade and export related emissions with you at a future time. Let's put a pin on that for a future discussion. But as we come to the end of our conversation here, Nishta, it's been fascinating hearing from you and I love the passion that you have. What does drive you forward when you're in your job, when you're looking at uh, the banking industry in, in, in particular? And what's your passion here? I do feel that I'm in an incredibly privileged position to be able to play an independent role free from the initial immediate commercial imperative to sort of deliver for a single client. And so that allows mm -hmm. me to sort of think um, systemically, think strategically, play a coordinating role. If we are going to transition the entire economy forward to a sustainable way of operating, then new markets need to be created, reinforcing that supply and demand that a single business relies on. So mm. that in the medium term is really exciting. I am mm -hmm. constantly plagued by our long-term prospects and I do innately feel that we need whole of system structural reform and, and you know, that is only going to happen mm -hmm. step by step. But we've inherited an economic system that has stripped the value of nature and other living beings back to a single metric that generates profit for already wealthy people. And so, you know, how we use some of the critical junctures that I'm going to come up against in my next three to four decades of my career, mm -hmm. you know, there's no short of crises to sort of solve and work on. And we're in this age of the poly crisis. And um, I, I think there's probably some universal principles to, for example, how we measure the economy that um, can mm. start to operate and, and yeah, flip the switch on all of those bad things that we've been, mm. um, that sort of terrible trajectory that we've been like inching towards for a number of, of decades now. I love this idea of taking a hold of the system um, and, and using analysis and using knowledge to shift to a more hopeful trajectory. So um, if I'm not being too Pollyanna-ish and restating what you've just said, I'd really love to leave that there. I'd love to just also add that I, I really do think that now is the time to speak truth to power. Business as usual, you know, the time for business as usual is in the past. And um, mm. if we're going to create change, we do need brave people in positions of power or younger. And, and, and you know, power is relative 
um, to the colour of your skin, to your gender, to your socioeconomic mm-hmm. status, to your education and background. Like, so use a lot, using and mobilising that privilege um, by speaking mm-hmm. truth to power and doing what's right is critically important. I have nothing further to add to that. So Nishta Agarwal of Climate Energy Finance, thank you so much for your time for this conversation. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks for listening to the Greener Way podcast. If you like today's show, remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Any feedback? Contact us on podcast at fssustainability.com.au. I'm Rachel Allen Backus. The Greener Way podcast is a product of FS Sustainability, a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The Greener Way podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. FS Sustainability operates under an Australian Financial Service License and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, fssustainability.com.au.